0: I believe it was during the summer holidays
1: on a farm. I
2: come from a big family. My mother had six children and one grandchild. My father had hydropericardium and passed away in 1950. Therefore, my mother was a single parent. In order to save on provisions and have one child less to feed, I was sent to a farmer by Caritas where I could take a rest. I was indeed able to recuperate the air, was fresh and clean over there, but back in those years every kind of work effort was needed. The term child labor was not known then. I was obviously very curious being the city boy I was. I had to crawl in the hayloft and look for chicken egg nests. I crawled around everywhere and did indeed find many eggs. Eventually they noticed this boy can do anything. He crawls around with no fear at all. One day the hay was being transported to the hayloft with these long wooden pitchforks. I had to take the hay while being up there and then stuff it into all the corners and gaps. At the same time, I'd been given the task of removing tufts of green grass from the hay. If I spotted some, I had to grab it and crawl forward to the end of the hayloft. There, I had to throw it down into a 10 meter deep abyss. At the bottom, there was the threshing floor. The reason for that, by the way, was that the grass would begin to ferment sooner or later, which could even lead to farm fires. For a long time, people did not understand why all of a sudden farms started to burn. So I took this responsibility very seriously and worked very hard. I once collected several tufts of grass so that I wouldn't have to crawl to the abyss every single time. I was out of breath at one point, grabbed the tufts and crawled all the way to the end. But I was so short of breath that, after throwing the grass down, I simply fell down after it. Apparently, I passed out during the fall and, for the first time, I saw stars. It didn't feel like falling, but rather like floating, just like a feather. There were some really special perceptions, but no fear involved during this incident. Of course, I did not notice the impact itself. When I woke up later on, I saw many people around me. Among them was a veterinarian whom I knew, but I still didn't know what was going on. The farmer then said to his daughter, take the bus to the children's hospital with Helmut. The drive, with an open clavicle fracture, took two and a half hours from St. Johann in der Heide to Graz. Nowadays, that would be considered outrageous, but back then, there was no other means of rescue. Eventually, I was admitted to the hospital. But prior to that, the farmer had written a note to his daughter. I assume it said that he had reanimated me and that I had been clinically dead. Something along those lines must have happened, because as soon as I arrived at the hospital and the young woman gave this piece of paper to the nurse, Her face changed immediately, and from then on, I was suddenly treated like a child of God. A youth caregiver came along as well, her name was Anna Henneberg Braungarten. She was a high-class lady who had left her belongings and took care of people's souls. From the day we met, she took care of me and she loved me. From her, I learned how to draw, paint, think and pray. How long were you in the hospital?
1: In total, at
2: least three months. Of course, many things happened during this time. On my arrival, they had examined me first and put a cast on me. After three days, the doctors came back and said, this is not working. They looked at the X-ray images and noticed that the cast was not helping. So they came to the conclusion that I needed surgery. Prior to that, I had received a book from my Aunt Anna, that's how I used to call her. I was supposed to read this book secretly. It was called The Tibetan Book of the Dead. She knew that I had been revived, so she handed me the book and told me that no one else should see
1: it. I was not
2: afraid at all and so I was brought to the operating room.
1: What
2: happened there? I had never seen an operating room before. I was laid on a white plastic couch and they began to cover my whole body. Only the area of the collarbone stayed visible and was being covered with a tincture, probably something for the sake of disinfection.
1: Then they put a mask
2: on my face, just like these FFP2 masks, which we see today.
1: Then they put some drops of ether on it. I didn't know what it was back
2: then but the smell was absolutely horrible. That was common back then? It was common, yes. The first drop felt like a whole ton was dropped onto my face. It was awfully loud. I held my breath since it was so terrible,
0: but
1: at
2: the same time, I knew that I wouldn't be able to hold it for too long. I also had a certain longing for death as a kid, so I thought, what's the worst that could happen? I will end up in heaven with my father. That was the release. So I took one deep breath and inhaled a whole lungful of ether by doing so. All I know is that I then, like a rocket, flew away to the heights. An interesting fact was that I never looked down. I just went up further and further with an immense speed. That means you had left your body? Back then, I didn't know that, but in retrospect, things are clearer. Of course, that must have been the moment where the soul, the energy, left the body so that a near-death experience might occur. Yes, that must have been it. What else did you experience then? Consciously, I remember that I went up and it went like a tornado which became narrower towards the end, eventually I became a small dart. At the top there was a dark essence into which I fell, just like a pebble that was dropped onto a dark lake, and so I sank down. The beauty of it was that I knew it, that I had this knowledge. I do not exist anymore. All I am is this small dot, just like a pea, so to speak. So I dived into the deepest depths. I saw interesting faces and grimaces along the way. Luckily, I already knew how to interpret them because I
0: had been allowed to read the Tibetan Book of the Dead beforehand. What happened after you experienced this falling down?
1: I,
2: as a dot, dived into it deeper and deeper, whilst having this knowledge or feeling that I existed, but that I didn't exist.
1: It's very hard to describe. Eventually, I realized that
2: I didn't exist anymore, which was
1: inexplicable. Then, at one point,
2: this tiny dot began to glow, and it arose. On the surface, I noticed a huge spinning wheel,
1: and all of a sudden, this
2: darkness turned into beaming light.
1: Inexplicable
2: to me. But it was without any shadow. How can one imagine a light without shadows? So I came up to the surface again, and I noticed, I do exist, but there is no body. There is just pure knowledge. After that, some other impressions followed. By the way, I never looked out for my deceased father, which I always wanted to. I didn't care at all. I was in a state of pure bliss, which is, once again, difficult to grasp. Everything was perfect the way it was, without any doubt. Then, I had this perception that there must be a loving God.
1: One doesn't see him, but he is there. It was very fascinating.
2: I arose and became a star, which had many other stars around it. My eyes caught planet Earth, even though I had no eyes since I had no body. At least I assume it was planet Earth. and I
0: began to witness what was going on down there. Did I get this right? You experienced the motion itself whilst at the same time witnessing the scene from the outside? You basically perceived yourself from the inside and outside.
2: This is where it gets interesting. There was no inside or outside. That's what makes it so
1: unbelievable. There is
2: no inside or outside. It is all oneness. There are no covers, no limits and no perimeters. Everything is open. Everything that is exists and everything that is not exists as well. That, again, is really difficult to imagine. Everything exists in the mind only in a subtle substance. It is not visible, but it exists. I simply knew that at this point. There is a loving God, and this God is invisible, but he can manifest himself any time. Once I saw the earth, I knew that something must have manifested down there. It cannot be anything else but the work of God, was my perception. I began to witness human beings down there, which was unforgettable. To me, it felt like a play. It was a who-done-it. it was a drama, it was comedy and it was science fiction. Everything was there simultaneously. Once again, quite difficult to grasp for the mind. I saw those people and how they were fighting and arguing down there and acting out their worst selfish behaviors. Everyone wants to be in the right. Then I became aware of the fact that indeed everyone is in the right from everyone's own narrow egocentric point of view from the first person perspective. I, on the other hand, encountered another right up there, which included everything. Everything is right and perfect, it is absolute. And down there, they are fighting about the smallest things, about things they see and don't see.
1: It was just insane. When
2: I looked at their heads, I saw a sparkling light on some of them.
1: Around the heads of others, there was fog, which I couldn't classify. I only had
2: this perception that everyone is a star, just like me and that everyone was made from stardust, so to speak, which still glows, but only diffuse, not in the same way as a shining star in the sky does, vibrating and oscillating. They were basically dead stars, at least in my perception. Another aspect was that this egoism, which was going on down there, was basically ridiculous, but resulted in a huge realization of mine. All people act out of unknowingness, but there is a tremendous knowing out there as I have experienced it. Then, all of a sudden, this Christian saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do,
1: made automatic sense to me.
2: It should rather go like this. Father, forgive them, for they don't know the future consequences of their actions and doings. I didn't think that myself, it just appeared and I was quite happy about that. So I took it with a light head and amusement, since there were so many stars on their way with me, so many souls. It was a benevolent smile while being aware of the fact that they don't yet know better, but they'll learn. Just like a mother who says to her child, Well, you couldn't know that yet. I know it. Stay calm, for you're going to learn it as well. It is not a boastful knowing, but rather a benevolent,
0: caring smile. That's what I felt there. Your main perception, whilst looking down on Earth, was that this is the materialistic world, but in comparison to real life, it rather looks like a stage, and that it is out of ignorance that many given conditions do have a meaning there, whereas they actually should not. Correct.
1: Those aspects are difficult to understand for the mind. Later, in 1969,
2: when space travel was a current topic, I saw an image that showed an astronaut taking a look at planet Earth. That was very interesting to me, since it was exactly the point of view that I had. I only began to understand afterwards what exactly had happened. I became more and more conscious of it in retrospect, step by step. Therefore, I came to the conclusion that only consciousness exists and the opposite pole of that is unknowingness, which I had seen in those people down there. They act
0: the way they do due to unawareness. They don't act viciously, but always unknowingly. How did your experience continue? Was there a point where you wanted to return to your body? Well, I can't say what I wanted to do because I didn't exist
2: in that sense. This decision must have been made from a higher viewpoint or manner. I simply had the wish to be down there again and to pass on my knowledge to those people. Like I said, it was no decision. The decision was made by itself. I understood then that I was consciousness.
1: But the decision on
2: how conscious I was didn't depend on me. There was some higher power. That was the first time when I felt certain that there is a loving God. I could only accept that was what was.
1: There was no discussion. What is there to discuss anyway? It is perfect. This acceptance has led me to a knowing which I call faith, at a higher level.
0: Were you religious prior to this experience?
1: I was not religious, but I went to
0: church a lot with my mother.
2: We visited the grave of my father. I witnessed something interesting there. She stood in front of the grave, went deep into herself and began to talk to my father as if he was sitting right in front of me, just like you do. She laughed and cried in succession, which was not understandable to me as a child. I only registered and accepted that. It was quite a performance. I asked her once, "Mum, who are you talking to? To your father. Where is he? He is there, in heaven. I replied, what is he doing there? He looks over us and he helps us. We can ask him any question. He is always there for us. So I thought, well, if Father is doing so well in
0: heaven, I want to be there as well. That's one beautiful home. Is that where this longing for death, which you felt as a child, came from? Yes, that's how the longing for death had developed. I understood that much later too. You then returned to life on Earth with the need to pass
1: on your knowledge. Yes,
0: in hindsight, I came to
2: know that after my clinical death from being over anesthetized, I was in a coma for seven days. I was told that by
0: Aunt Anna, whom I have mentioned previously. Anna von Henneberg, you said that there's a soul connection. She prayed for you to wake up again. How did this special relationship develop?
2: I came to the hospital as a blonde child with bright blue eyes. This woman must have been some kind of special being. When she saw me for the first time, she looked into my eyes and called me a child of God. She was also giving religion classes, by the way. I still have letters and notes from her where she wrote, My dear child of God, Helmut. It's not easy to put this into words, but she somehow perceived me as a spiritual being rather than as a physical one. Therefore, she indeed treated me like a child of God, but from the very beginning. I assume she must have had some psychic abilities. She was a fantastic woman. Prior to your near-death experience? Yes, right when she had met me at the hospital. Even then she welcomed, called and treated me like a child of God. Treated being the operative word. She was responsible for my getting a single room for myself. She also made sure that I received a bedside lamp because I said I was afraid of the dark at night, which was a lie. But that's how I was able to read the book at night. I had loved to read as a child already. And it was the same Aunt Anna who gave me this particular
0: book. The Tibetan Book of the Dead? Yes. What insights did you get from this book?
1: You were still a child back then.
2: Well, she was very clear about me hiding the book and reading it secretly, because it is not beneficial for everyone. The Tibetan Book of the Dead basically describes the dying process. I read it and it was quite fascinating. Before that, she had given me an important hint by saying, Helmut, if ghosts arise, remember the following. Evil spirits are only unhappy human beings. If you read the book and see any spirits, it will always be you. You will always just encounter yourself and you don't need to be afraid of yourself. Show your face to your faith and you'll always be glad and happy. I understood this immediately and read the book accordingly, without telling anyone about it. That was very helpful when I came up inside this tornado and then fell into this dark substance at the top. I encountered all those faces and I always knew, that's me. That helped me a lot.
1: It was fantastic. There are
2: horror movies where one sees such things and many people are afraid of them. That was another insight I got. The human being is afraid of recognizing itself, of knowing itself. There are so many old aphorisms saying, know thyself, but how can one do that? It's not possible for the mind to grasp it. It's only possible in an altered state like that, at least in my current opinion. What happened as soon as you woke up from the coma? It was terrible. Suddenly, I was inside the body again, and I noticed how uncomfortable it actually was. All I wanted was rest, so I said to Aunt Anna, I want to sleep. I don't know how long I had slept. She must have passed the message on. But I rested for a couple of days and was therefore able to stay in this floating state. During this time, I had some more realizations, and I felt no pain, by the way.
1: Quite interesting. The body was there, I felt it, but it was
2: not burdensome, because it almost felt like a subtle body. One more interesting fact about Aunt Anna. 40 years later, she brought me a book at her birthday party. In this book, there was a note which was written by her. Apparently, it states what I mumbled during my coma waking phase. I don't remember any of it, but she had written it down. Then she said to me, you basically portrayed the hermetic principles. As a 12-year-old child, I didn't know who Hermes was. I really had no idea. But when I received this note, I was totally amazed by what is actually possible. It has been proven once again that we are spiritual beings and the body is materialized energy. Then I understood that the body is the result of the mind. Why am I thin? Because I want to be thin. And if anyone wants to be chubby, then that
0: may be so. It's all a matter of mind. Were you able to talk about your experiences later on as a child or teenager? Did you even want to? That's an interesting question.
1: I was not able to. Back then,
2: during the post-war era, people had other things on their minds. Men were looking for work and women had to feed their children. If I had opened up about my experience, they'd probably have taken me who knows where. That was impossible. Moreover, such knowledge about near-death experience didn't exist back then. Only the pastor at the church talked about life and death, because death was a taboo topic. Who wants to talk about death anyway after war? People returned with amputated legs and arms. Who would want to talk about death then? It was time to live again. That was at least my perception as a child. What I did, though, was write poems. Due to that, I was seen as a weirdo and became an outsider, and I lived in that role for many years. But I was able to understand that, because I had already seen it from above, which reassured me. Over and over again, I had this prayer in my mind, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It has always supported and saved me. That means I was always able to shift from those earthly burdens into a higher state of consciousness. It's not their fault, because they don't know any better, and therefore they cannot be punished. Very
0: interesting as well. They cannot be punished for something they don't know they are doing. When it comes to near-death experiences, aka NDE's, you like to use the term NLE, which stands for near-life experience.
2: Yes, if one listens very closely to what I've said, one will notice that I was in an altered state of consciousness. Life was all there was, not death. Therefore, I cannot say I was near-death, but rather near-life. Never have I ever felt and lived more intensely than back then. Other people may call it a near-death experience, but for me it doesn't sound as correct as it should.
0: You returned from your experience with the need to pass on the knowledge that there is more than the materialistic world, but you were not able to do so post-war. Was there a time later on where you were able to meet this need, so to speak? Meeting a need?
2: I rather perceived it as an assignment. I would like to mention that the things that happened to me simply happened without my having a part in them. That was another feeling I had. In the beginning, it all ran like clockwork, with a few exceptions here and there. Each time, when I was too body-oriented, I received a slap from life. My mother once told me,
1: Helmut, you are smart.
2: If the boys want to fight again, then remember that the wiser head gives in, the stupid one will fall. Out of vanity, I said, okay, I will give in. Today, I have to admit that I felt quite resolute in doing so.
1: So I began
2: constantly to give in, to mediate, and I became kind of a peacemaker. But when I was 16 years old, I stopped doing that because I had noticed that if the smarter one always gives in, the stupid ones will rule the world. I had this realization at the age of 16. That has something to do with the fact that I had met my wife at that age, who was 14 at the time.
1: I saw her
2: and immediately said, I will marry her. I'm with this woman to this very day and we've been married for 52 years. From the mind's point of view, that isn't possible either. There must be some higher power, a knowledge or some sort of consciousness that makes this possible, because a lot can happen in 52 years. One could ask my wife if there were times when she wanted to send me packing at some point. There certainly were.
0: Maybe you've already asked her about this yourself. She didn't
2: want to send me packing, but rather send me to a rose garden. But that makes me realize again that I am a guided being. I have discovered talents and abilities within me that others maybe had as well, but they lacked the courage to use them. I was never afraid of failing. I had doubts like everyone does, but no fear. If one looks at all the things I have started and accomplished, then one comes to the conclusion that the only possible way is the one without fear.
0: According to your biography, a stroke you experienced in 2019, followed by a rehabilitation period, led you to the decision to go public with your experiences and insights. There was an interim phase when I went to Germany.
1: I was quite different from the others. I
2: was the nice guy from Austria who was eloquent and in need of learning. The clinical death was always on my mind, though. I was guided once again to study in order to become a natural health professional, which was a challenging study because, for example, all the terms were taught in Latin,
1: and I had to learn a lot. I hoped
2: to find an answer regarding the clinical death there,
1: but that didn't happen. It was
2: life itself, as well as certain difficult books, which have eventually
0: taught me to understand those answers.
1: The year 1989
0: played an important role in your biography. You had already lived in Germany for years at that point, but then learned that your youngest brother had developed leukemia. That was yet again an encounter with death, which was important, not only for you. Yes, my brother was
2: dying and I was the only one who could be the bone marrow
1: donor.
2: So I donated two litres of bone marrow. That was a crazy time in and of itself, because I actually lived with him in quarantine in the hospital in Innsbruck over the course of a few months. He had three children and he knew that he was dying. So he wanted to use the time he had left in order to sort things. His name was Joe, he was a charming guy, even though the name sounds kind of tough. I said to him, don't you worry Joe, we will clear everything up. He wanted to know more about death and I explained that there is no such thing as death. But he kept asking further. So now I was suddenly able to communicate everything that I had experienced which was a huge relief, because there was finally someone who was able to make use of that knowledge. I think it is not until someone feels very bad when one is finally ready to change, including one's belief systems and thoughts in general. That was fortunate for me, because I was allowed to show him the way to light. I held seminars in Germany and Austria that were called Seize the moment, for they are the smallest components of your successful or unsuccessful life.
1: I settled down in Austria again,
2: bought and improved a house, then sold it again because my wife didn't like it that much. We then moved to Steins and bought another house, which is the third one so far. That is absolutely amazing to me. That cannot be done as it were casually, there must be some guidance.
1: I always come back to this. I have always found people who have
2: supported and helped
1: me. I cannot invent them. They were
2: simply there at one point, which is a gift to me. I also understood in retrospect that my stroke in 2019 was once again a desired outcome. I wanted to get off the hamster wheel with all the knowledge I had. I then said to my wife that I didn't want any visitors during my rehab. So I was alone for four weeks in Strasse Engel, where I plowed on and reconsidered my whole life. At one point I understood that I had to open up. People had the right to know what I had experienced, because knowledge belongs to all human beings, not just to me. I am not privileged. I am a part of a whole. This certainty led to the decision to get started and to open up. Also, I knew that at my age, I'm not presenting a target to anybody. One cannot insult or hurt me, and neither can I be crucified anymore. Crucifying needs to be understood correctly. Everyone is being crucified a couple of times a day, everyone is being wronged. But being able to deal with that injustice helps. One has to remember the phrase, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then I can no longer hold a grudge
0: against anybody. I can put people in their place, but I don't have to immediately shoot them. The Arnold Schwarzenegger Museum in Graz was opened in 2011, and you are one of the co-founders. What kind of a connection do you have with the world-famous Styrian? I met Arnold Schwarzenegger personally
2: at a young age. I was a player at Sturm back then and trained at the Liebenauer Stadium. Arnold Schwarzenegger did bodybuilding in the catacombs, and I had a trainee colleague who trained with Arnold. I visited him once and noticed that they were working with very rusty
1: iron. So I said to
2: my trainee colleague, look, I'm a technician-draftsman. I'll do some drawings and I'll get some new weights made, that will look much better. So I did that and he took them with him. Arnold was very happy with that and then I met him. But there was just one particular reason for the Arnold Schwarzenegger Museum. Something on an energetic level has connected me to Arnold Schwarzenegger, his ambition his uniqueness and the fact that he wanted to achieve something and then did so. He believed in himself. That was the reason why I strive towards portraying this personality, Arnold Schwarzenegger,
1: in the right way. As a human being who had a goal,
2: pursued this goal, and hung on to it, which is crucial. That is what I wanted to leave to posterity. That is what you've tried to express in your pictures, too. Yes, we didn't have enough for the museum, and Arnold was far away already. In the beginning, we renovated it, and I remembered that I had started painting an image in Germany, which I hadn't finished. It was Conan the Barbarian. That was the one I finished first. After looking at it, I thought, wait a minute, that isn't Arnold. It's just a small portion of him. He was a bodybuilder, an actor and a governor. My goal was to cover all these three areas of him in order to show what this man had accomplished. He didn't become an actor because he was a muscle man, nor did he become a governor because he was an actor. He has put his mind and thoughts
0: into all of it. Your book released in 2021, and its title raised this question. Do the deceased smile over us? Do they smile? Uh,
2: Well, let me put it this way, once we as human beings become aware that we are egocentrics, have thousands of masks and are inauthentic to ourselves, it may happen that we begin to laugh about ourselves. Let me give you a beautiful example. My wife and I were planning to go to a masked ball and we dressed as Puss in Boots. We mistook the dates, though. So we drove to the party, completely dressed up, and, once we arrived, we realized that there was no masked ball. Next to the location was a pub. I went in there, having completely forgotten that I had makeup on. Obviously, I got asked what the heck had happened to me. I laughed so much about myself and became aware that we're constantly playing all kinds of roles. But one only gets the real role, the one I have experienced, if one is in absolute consciousness. That is fascinating to me. The smiles are not boastful ones, they are benevolent smiles with the knowing behind them. You will figure it out too, you will be given the time, but I must attend to you
0: so that you reach this state of consciousness. Were you to sum up your personal experiences and your philosophical reflections about life? What happens during death? Only one
2: thing occurs
0: during death.
1: The
2: soul leaves the body, but not abruptly. Given my very fast clinical death, it was rapid. But that is not usual, according to many observations of
1: mine.
2: I was allowed to assist 17 people during their dying process. And it really is a process when the soul leaves the body, just as it is a process when the body grows in the beginning.
1: It takes time and
2: does not happen abruptly. Obviously, the mind has to go through some travails until the point when it's completely free.
1: I say the Last
2: Judgment does exist,
1: but the human being
0: does that to himself. You were always a very active person in many ways. What are you currently doing and what are your plans for the future? Currently, I have a huge desire to bring more awareness into this world.
1: So, that man
2: becomes more conscious regarding his actions and deeds, that he will come into action in general, because everything that happens, happens through action. So, I have founded an academy with a partner of mine called the Conhell Academy where we want to confront people with old knowledge, because the old was never bad in the first place. We want people to step into their power again, so they will think in a more conscious manner. You previously asked me what our purpose in this world is. The purpose is to become conscious, that's the whole point. That is the reason for what we are doing. We want to pass on our knowledge to people. Humanity is doing well on its path towards the next step to a higher state of consciousness. One can spot that
0: everywhere. Thank goodness. I wish you every success with your project. Thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you very much,